Yo, partnership alert, partnership alert, partnership alert. Living Corporate has a partnership with LinkedIn Learning, an American massive open online course provider that provides video courses taught by industry experts across a wide array of subjects. Now, the partnership is because Living Corporate has courses on LinkedIn Learning focused on diversity, equity, inclusion for leaders, career professionals, and anyone really looking to upskill themselves and be better allies. So make sure you check out our courses on LinkedIn Learning by clicking the link in the show notes. And let's just say you don't want to do that. You go to LinkedIn Learning on LinkedIn, search Living Corporate. We'll be right there. All right. Peace. Hello, hello, and good morning, everyone. And welcome to the new group chat. I am Vonda Page, and this is Radical Change with Vonda Page on Living Corporate. And today I'm super excited to welcome back my good friends and colleagues, Alan Wong and Angel Henry. And last time uh, we talked about making dents in the ceiling. We talked about digital redlining. We talked about, you know, um, issues in the tech industry really around um equity and um we had some really good discussion you know we started off with some intros and then we started really getting into it and what we're going to do today is we're just literally going to just jump right in and we are going to just start talking about you know um the the radical change that is really necessary in order to make shifts right when we're talking about trying to make improvements and trying to do things differently when it comes to technology the base of it is really around stem and steam education right and right before we went on screen we were talking about this how the system um and the structures really need to be you know revamped and reorganized so we're just going to like pick it up from there and um i'm gonna just say angel you know jump on in right so give the audience just a little bit of refresher around your background. But then I just want to talk about, you know, let's pick one of these areas, right, that we know we need to look at and let's dive into it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So real quick all again, Angel Henry, author of Dents in the Ceiling, Tools Women and Allies Need to Break Through. Um, And so I had the privilege of interviewing um, a little over 30 African-American women who work in tech Um, from coast to coast, big consulting firms, down to small uh, tech startups, uh, from uh, Mm -hmm. folks that are analysts or associates, so maybe one to three years from graduating um, undergrad or grad, um, all the way to a woman who was set to retire, who by now probably (laughs) is. Um, So it it was interesting to see the themes in terms of um, the broad generation, right, from from a baby boomer all the way to um, millennials, and how unfortunately things have not changed. Um, And in fact, our the digital divide is getting wider. And we saw that with the pandemic and what Alan talked about last time in terms of we're making uh, we're we're going backwards. Um, But it's confusing. It's confusing to me and to us as black women and to us as underrepresented populations because we hear the stats. Right. We see that 
well, wait a minute, women are, are climbing up. Women are getting to be CEOs. And we have two CEO, two African-American CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. Um, we're seeing where kids literally have most, uh, most uh, adults and parents like myself um, have uh, their children have access to Chromebooks now. Um, or, or some sort of laptop or device in their school, especially because of the pandemic, they had to send them home, they had to give them some device. So we saw lots of grants and, and you know, push out of technology so kids can um, access from home. Um, but what we're not seeing is the underpinnings, right? So let's think about access and let's think about infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So first, when we talk about access, so when you think about women like me who are sitting on executive um levels and, and boards and, um, and executive steering committees and, and teams, we're often the only. So that would be out of, you know, a thousands of mm -hmm. people in the company, I might very well be the only at the executive table or the only in the boardroom, right? So that's, that's when we talk about access in terms of there's not enough of us um, to really make that that dent all the way through the ceiling. So that's why you don't see droves of underrepresented um, ethnic and cultural minority women sitting at those seats, but you see primarily maybe Caucasian women sitting at those seats now, right? Yeah. And then when we talk about infrastructure, which is hitting Alan's home, <laughs> right? Right. It's where the, yeah, great, the kids got sent home with the Chromebook, but if there's not enough towers or if their parents can't afford broadband or if they are, um, you know, in a place where they're, um, you know, home insecure, maybe they're couch surfing or, um, mm -hmm. you know, their parents are um, not quite poverty, but but just under that line, um, then they don't have access to the needed broadband or Internet connectivity where it might be them and their siblings all trying to connect and do homework at the same time. Right. And so your point is so interesting. Right. Because it gets to both sides. And that's where like when I think about, you know, the digital divide or digital equity. Right. There's two sides of it in my mind. So there's the side of us. Right. Who work in technology. Right. Who work in companies and corporations, nonprofits and schools. We work there. So regardless of where we are right within an organization and institution that's one side but then the other side is the whole access right infrastructure the community so alan like that's your you know your 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 focus right and, and what you're seeing every day talk about like at the at the beginning at the earliest stages because so like i'm in my 50s right um and and so as you think about women right black brown asian women that start in STEM education early, what does, what does, what happens between, you know, first grade or second, third grade uh, mm -hmm. science course, physical science course, general to, you know, college? And then why is there still only one black, black woman in every technology meeting? Maybe one Latina woman, you know, um, maybe a Southeastern, Southeastern Asian person, right? A woman, but what, what happens? throughout that time. So give give some, you know, context from your perspective um, and, and, you know, help us like dig into it. Yeah. Um, so again, thank you for, for, for taking the time and for leaning in. I think um, what Angel said is spot on. Um, there needs to be a reset of the bar because right now there's a lot of people patting themselves on the back 
when you're talking about things like radical change, it's more like minimal movement. Mm -hmm. And when you're talking about, well, there's you know, angel sits on a board, everybody in that room is saying, well, look, we have angel. Angel's like, I'm the only I'm one person, right? And then when you're talking about things like uh, getting kids devices, the districts are saying, we got them Chromebooks, we got them iPads, you know, this is what this is what we're all about. We're, we're about kids first. Come on, you're getting them hardware, but nobody goes to vet to what check whether or not on the infrastructure side, there's enough cell towers in that urban area to provide capacity for those devices, meaning you can give them all the iPads, Chromebooks, devices, PCs, SpaceX in the world. If you don't have towers, there's no way to communicate. There's no way to connect. And so on the infrastructure side, uh, that is the digital redlining that we've been talking about. And that is something that is carried over from the days where east of one side of the street, people couldn't get mortgages. Mm -hmm. Well, that same side of the street, they can't get connected. And when you're talking about getting connected, that is kind of the, the baseline for education now. Um, now, to answer your question in terms of just the girls in the younger grades, you know, everyone in education has seen uh, the power of providing experiences and engagement to kids, boys, girls, black, white, whatever, if it's across the board. To hold back and try to provide only the best in STEM, whether it's robots or, 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 or programming or drones or AR, VR, whatever that looks like on the technology side, you know, to reserve that only for A, high ability learners, or B, only those that raise their hand and show interest, which are typically the boy gamers. Again, I have boys that are gamers and they love it. But my daughter, you know, who has been very fortunate in being able to go through these girls specific programs, she now sees herself as a change maker, someone who can make a difference. She sees herself as a leader in this field where there aren't that many people to look up to. Um, and that's what we need more of, you know, in across the board. It doesn't matter if it's urban or rural. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, um, what, what the school, public, private, or anything like that is. It needs more leaning in on the uh, adult mentor side, mm -hmm. you know, show by example, leading by example, leading from the front and the radical change that needs to happen, you know, from the top down as well as from the bottom up. And so what you just said triggered to me, you know, about needing more leaders and, and needing people, it really triggered courage to me. Right. Because there is something I think that we have to um, feel inside and something we have to want to do. Right. So like when I think about you writing this book, Angel, right. And, and thinking about the, the courage that it took for for women and you but for the women you interview to share these stories because these stories happen all the time. Right. And even when I think about, you know, digital redlining that that's happens all across the country in all communities. Right. It's not like it's only in the South or only in the Midwest. That's everywhere. Right. I mean, I grew up in Philadelphia. Right. And so when I think about even this conversation that we're having, people who are leaning in, people who are, you know, trying to, affect change and trying to do something it really takes a lot of courage because the we talked a little bit about it last time right because what happens alan when you speak up right or when you speak out or when you say hey because the thing that is going through my mind right now is okay so you're giving companies schools organizations are giving the actual hardware they're saying okay right here's your chromebook here's your laptop here's your whatever but they know 
that the infrastructure is the thing that has to happen in order for for technology to even work. They know that all of those pieces go together. So when you said earlier about, you know, people making minimal movement. So, yeah, handing everybody a Chromebook before you ensure that the infrastructure is there, right, that you have enough broadband, that, you know, the network signals and strength is big enough that you have data, um, you know, the privacy, security set up like they know that. They know, right, and they, right, are the, the, the powers, right, who are making decisions, right, whether you're talking about, you know, people in companies, people in local or larger governments, people in community organizations. Tell, where's the courage? Like, what is the thing that's holding people back from just even saying, hey, I have a question. We've given 100,000 students Chromebooks. However, we still have... Where's the courage? What's what's that about? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> fear, absolute fear. Um, you, Vonda, you, you hit the nail on the head. Several women, several, almost half, I had to explicitly repeat over and over again, verbally and in writing, that their names would not be shared, their company names would not be shared, um, I had to go through extensive um, efforts to make sure that I blinded or removed any identifying information from the women who shared their stories with me. I had my my editor and my publisher was really a little frustrated because she kept saying, Angel, tell your story, tell your story. And she wanted it. She wanted me to tell my story in chronological order. And I refused. I said no, because I don't want anybody to be able to piece back which company or which role that I was talking about when I said that thing that happened to me in the book, mm -hmm. right? I want mm -hmm. it to be some sort of mystery in terms of, well, I know Angel and I know she worked at these companies. So which company was she at where this probably happened to her? I specifically mixed it up and generalized it for that very reason of anonymity. Um, so there's this, there's the fear factor, this layer of, I don't want to get labeled. I don't want, um, uh, if I'm in an organization and I tell my story, I, and I'm the only one I could easily They're going to know it's me. be the only one I could easily be walked out. So for me personally, the fear was absolutely there and it was real because I, I witnessed the only African-American female VP in IT at my company walked out because she ruffled the feathers of the CIO to the point where she was conveniently let go on a moment's notice, right? Um, it sent shockwaves through our IT department and through me personally, because now I'm the next one down in terms of, of power mm -hmm. and authority and if I follow the same suit that she did in terms of speaking up and speaking out and, and bringing attention to some unfair and equitable practices at that organization, then I would be the next one conveniently walked out, right? So that silenced me. That made me question every time that I wanted to question a process or a hiring decision or who got, um, I, the, my favorite one are these um, high potential programs um, where where the hypos in the organization are given special training and special um, um, ass job assignments so that they can showcase their talent, learn new skills, and then progress up the, the ladder, right? Mm -hmm. the, the career ladder. 
And when when we questioned that there were no African-Americans or underrepresented ethnic or popular, you know, folks from an uh, underrepresented population in that pool of high potential, you know, folks, um, then that brings attention to me. So now I have to be very careful about how I bring this to attention to those that are making the decision and how I'm, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, well, can I say something? Should I, I, I want to say something. I need to say something, but how do I do it? To where again, I'm not walked out the next time that that opportunity happens. So, um, all it's that not, to say, I'm fear. sorry, interrupting, Joy. No, it no. totally, it's, it's not fair to you to be in that position where you are the one that's expected to be courageous. You're the one that's expected to confront those fears, not just of yourself in terms of all the hard work and effort you got to be in that position, but then now you're having to put others on notice. Uh, yeah. And, and so <laughs> yeah, kudos yeah. to everybody that that was willing to, you know, join you in your your journey in the book, you know, for them to be able to tell those stories. I mean, obviously, there needs to be volumes of dense in this year. Like, there needs to be you know, a whole series, because I'm sure that's just the tip of the iceberg. Exactly. Um, yeah. 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 And I'm sorry to interrupt. I, no, I was no. Just... Well, no. I was going to say the same fear happens to us as, as parents as well. Right. So when I go into uh, my daughter's library and I look around and I'm like, where's the ethnic representation in the books where's where's the little girl who wants to be a scientist and not ne not always necessarily you know a, a princess a, thank you <laughs> which is not a job <laughs> it's all about who i married we won't get into that we won't get into that right <laughs> so so you know i i i absolutely did go up to the librarian and say hey here's a list of books you know, myself and a couple other moms got together. Here's a list of books that we would like for you to consider to be on the reading list. And 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 to my school's credit, they moved on it. Right? They 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 looked through the list and said, yeah. And they and the very next order, some of those books were on the order. That's awesome. But I I have the privilege of being at a private a small private school, so change can happen a little bit more readily because you know I've I've got some dollars in my pocket and if they want to make the parents happy then there's kind of an incentive there for private schools to to listen to the parents and when we have a specific ask then sometimes they can move a little faster but if my ch if ch children went to a public school right um, then there's this whole system and this whole process and the powers that be to to Alan's point of you know um, when we when we were sp speaking earlier about there's there's a gatekeeper and then there's the people behind the gatekeeper and oftentimes myself and alan and folks like us that are change agents that see an opportunity to make change and 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 suggest it we come to the gatekeeper and if we're lucky we get through to the gatekeeper and they're on our side and now they're championing internally for this change but then they hit a group of people that usually kind of tracks back to one person. <laughs> and if that one person, whether it's the head of HR or the CIO or the CEO, doesn't get it, isn't buying into it, doesn't want to put up the dollars and cents behind making that change because it's not in the budget or it's a little too hard or they'll shuffle it off till next quarter then it doesn't happen. It falls on deaf ears. And yeah. so that's where we struggle with making change. It gets lost in the process. And over time, when you see that and you're, you know, you're, you're one or two people trying to make change, 
you get tired. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how do we, so what I'm thinking right now is like, so I'm thinking Alan, right. And the different programs that you do in Prairie STEM. And I was specifically thinking the one that came to my mind when we were just even thinking, talking about like jobs, right. Is I have this um, uh, picture in my mind of like little girls, right. Building robots, right. And doing like these deeply technical specific things. What are the things that we can like do from a mentor, you know, adult kind of perspective to help instill that courage in them now, right? At five years old, at six, at seven, like, hey, you're you're going to meet and and come and and experience obstacles, right? My daughter is nineteen now, going through all kind of oh my god in San Francisco, being trying to be a young black woman in San Francisco. I mean, it's like every day is something happening. And so, you know, she's older, right? So at 19, right, I mean, I've been, you know, her mom, right, forever. So she sees me, right, and gets it. But we've not, until even recently, had to start um, confronting these structural and system issues, right, in these organizations. So if we think about, you know, kids at their earliest ages, right, um, elementary school, and thinking about not only helping them grasp and start to learn and start to get excited about STEM, right, education. But how do we do that at the same time to help build that courage in them, right? That way to be able to um, recognize, yes, I'm operating in a system or a structure or an institution that's not doing things fairly. And it's okay to speak up, right? And it's okay to raise my hand, right? So talk about it. Let's get with the kits. I love it. These are, these are the kits. How do we do it? We do things so that it gets them interested. So this is my daughter's, you know, and she built this from scratch. All these little bits, they're called little bits. It's one of the platforms we use. Um, this is one area, and again, she named it. It's Willy Nilly Wong. Ah, I love it. Ah. And, and, and we, we encourage the girls to, to customize it, to do it, because then they're taking ownership of what they've uh -huh. created. You know, it creates a sense of value in what they've made. Uh, and that value comes from the ideas in their heads. So you're instilling creativity and critical thinking. Um, how do we get these girls, how do we get these kids across the board engaged? You have to do things that are going to bring them in. So, you know, I tell people we're in the business of helping students find their greatest value. Mm -hmm. What that means in reality, boots on the ground is we're in the business of helping these kids find where their interest lies, you know, and it doesn't have to be in STEM. It can be in arts. Sometimes it's considered part away from STEM, but it's integral in STEM. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you're talking about art, music, literature, all of those are, are encompassed in everything we do. You can't, you can't have a company without a graphic lead who's making it look pretty so that you can distribute it for the masses. You can't, uh, be an author without having a gift for being a wordsmith and being able to paint a story in words that people can see as images in their mind. Um, all of these are things that are, are, are you know, um, pushed, uh, but on the education side and trying to get those kids connected, it's hard when they don't have stakeholders like Angel, who's the mom of her school, leaning into the library to say, you need to have a more diverse selection of books that's representative of the student population and the community. Uh -huh. um, and, and to be fair, that librarian uh, may be just getting a list of books that they're supposed to give as opposed to 
being able to do what she wants to do or he wants to do um, at the district level, it's the same thing. And it all comes down to when you're talking about change and gatekeepers, again, thank you for talking about gatekeepers. It's not just about getting libraries in the, or books in the library. You know, that's, that's decision-making level. That's board of education level. That change in the gatekeepers, you know, from us and the nonprofit side, that has everything to do with funding, you know, and it really boils down to money. Okay. And it boils down to who are the ones that are willing to to give the support, you know, and in the in the world of uh, our organizations, that support is specifically in funding to be able to push these programs to get them into the hearts, minds, and souls of the of these kids. Mm-hmm. How do we get it so that that girl who is sitting in the back of the room, not raising her hand because all the boys are first to answer, you know, when there's a question, but the smart teacher the teacher that's gone through professional development and understood that girls answer differently than boys counts to 10. And before they respond to those that have put their hands up, by the time they get to seven or eight, that girl in the back of the class raises their hand and now they have a chance to respond. Mm -hmm. And then when they have their ability to share their voice, when they are seen in a world where um, they're not equal, but different, but their differences of every bit of value, if not greater than the boys. Um, I think I, I shared last time when we go into these classrooms with the robots and then the kids see us, we'll just say fourth graders, uh, they get really excited because it's something new and exciting that we bring into the classroom. And robots is just, you know, one thing. It can be any any tech, any bright, shiny object to bring them in. Um, we tell them when you come into the room, you pair up and then you're going to basically be doing a Martian navigation course, which is just an obstacle course for them to drive the robot using uh, remotes that all these kids are familiar with. You know, so these things that you put this in front of a kid and they start drooling because, you know, it's a Pavlovian response mm-hmm. when they when they do it. You know, we basically just give them the scenario. The story is you have to drive this Martian rover. You have a pilot and a navigator through the course. It's a time trial and we put all their times on a board. The first half of the course, you can imagine all the gamers in the room that do this on a regular basis. They fly through it. They get the best scores. They pat each other on the back, say great job. And we give them all the support that they need to show value for what they've done. Then halfway through the class, we say there's a Martian sandstorm, which happens daily. Now your visual monitors are out. So now you have to use your other sensors. So in this case, they get blindfolded and their sensor is their navigator. So this lesson is no longer about driving a robot. It's all about communication. And it's all about how well you can articulate and how well you listen. So those same teams that were doing so great are now saying things like, go, 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 stop, stop, stop. You know, what are you doing? And throwing the remotes on the ground. Meanwhile, their friends, the girls sitting next to them are saying things like move forward 12 inches, turn right 90 degrees, move forward three inches, turn left 45 degrees. And it's slow and steady, they win the race. Now, at the end of the day, you look at that leaderboard and everything is flip-flopped. It's the girls, it's the best communicators. It's those that have been you know, trained in the art of listening and communicating, not in the art of gaming and getting fast scores. Mm-hmm. Day two comes in, we do the same setup, Kids come in, we say, pick a partner. Who do you think those boys are looking to for their partner now? And what the is people it? who won. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's those best communicators. Yeah. And what does it do for those girls in terms of where their own value is? You know, mm-hmm. I may not be able to play Fortnite or, or you know, driving racing games as fast or as good as you, but I can communicate, I can listen, I can follow instructions, and I can lead better than any of you because those are my results from what happened when you take away your visual sensors yeah 
So it sounds like we need more. It sounds like we need more um, leaders, to your point, more teachers, right? More people who um, who understand that, right? And who create those opportunities for that type of learning and that type of experience to to occur. So, and I think, right, to me, it sounds like that translates directly into how these things play out in corporate America, right? So if we think about, and, and even before we get there, so in high school, right? So my daughter um, happened to go to a high school that's a um, international baccalaureate and they also have AP courses. Blah, blah, blah. So she just happened to go to a high school that has, you know, all of that, right? That had chemistry and physics and all those other the advanced sciences. Some, so in, so in high school, right? Um, I think if I remember correctly, when, when um, students start their high school careers, there's the same amount of interest in science that girls and boys both have. But then by the end of high school and then ends of college and it and those numbers keep dwindling. So so how do we help people think about specific actions they can do right wherever they are right in in at work or in the community in their nonprofit, you know, whatever. How do we help people think about starting to expand that thought process? Right. Um, and starting to even look at what are the actionable things that 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 we can do individually. So like one of the things, Alan, you had talked about before, right, was, you know, needing champions inside of corporations. But but what are things that people need to do themselves? Because I have this feeling or this this um, opinion, right, that everybody is acting like they don't know the problems or that they don't understand right, where those issues are. But I think it's just a lack of accountability around making choices and making decisions to do things. So if there is a, a high school and there are only, you know, uh, if there's 30 kids in a class and there's only eight girls, right, that are taking the science course, why wouldn't the administrators at the school or the teachers or even the department head ask the question, right of hey is it that we're not um telling all the students about these opportunities is it like what is the reason that girls you know um have limited access limited opportunity and then you know 20 30 years later we're like the only person in the room well we're fighting stereotypes and unconscious bias all all day every day mm -hmm. And so what happens, and the this is the best scenario that I can give because I think it's going to hit like at, at least 65% of us, okay? So I have the privilege of being right-handed. That means that when I went to school and I sat down mm -hmm. at a desk and that desk had the, the, the armrests on the right-hand side, I was A-OK. -okay. Mm -hmm. That means that when my um, uh, mom went to went to get my kindergarten supplies and I had to get those special safety scissors. Those special safety scissors were made just for my perfect little right hand. Mm -hmm. Now, would I ever in a million years think about those scissors or the way that the desk is shaped and how it's for me? No, because I'm going along doing just fine and would never even think about the fact that this world was made for me being a right-handed person. 
it's only when I encounter someone who is left-handed and they start telling their lived experience of how hard it is to cut paper and how awkward it is to sit at a desk and write, then do I, my mind start opening up and I start thinking to myself, oh, oh my, there's, there's other experiences out here other than just mine that is different and that this world is actually harmful or at least not useful or helpful to everyone. Mm -hmm. And so that diversity of being um, uh, in a, in a personal network of people that have different lived and shared experiences of the world now helps open my eyes. And now at that point I have a choice, right? I can choose to just be like, Oh, sorry, that sucks for you, man. That's mm -hmm. tough being left-handed in a right-handed world. Oh, well, or I can, you know, have a little bit of empathy and really put myself in their shoes and say, well, that's not quite fair. I think there should be more left-handed scissors and more left-handed dust. So I'm going to band with you and help advocate for you to have, you know, a, a better a equal chance. Right. So it's, it's down to personal choice. And at, and, and at this point, the people who, who have the power and are in privilege and, and have the money, the world is made just for them, right? Mm -hmm. Before we even started the, this call, we started talking about how society, how the American society was set up from the very beginning back to the Constitution and who was writing it and who it was written for, how it was set up, right? So if I am, if I am a heterosexual um, uh, Caucasian man in this society that was built for me, then I have a personal choice to say, well, that's for you. Um, I, things are just fine for me, right? Why am I going to step out of my comfort zone and get down in there and, and help you advocate for something that I already have, right? Or I can choose to lean into my empathy and, and do just that. But it's a personal choice, right? So, so to your point, Vonda, not everybody's going to make the decision that we want them to, right? Which mm -hmm. is like, hey, lean into your humanity. Let's mm -hmm. let's like it, make it more equal for everybody. Not everybody's going to do that. So unfortunately, the onus does become to put on us and those few active allies that do decide to, to bind together and help and, and, and figure out how we're going to make change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Alan? Man, my, you know, my wheels are turning and Give I'm it artist to, to to keep it focused number one that's about the best metaphor that i've heard for understanding privilege um and i will be borrowing that from this point forward because i live with a left-hander and we can't sit next to each other when we're right. eating because my right hand hits her left hand and so, yeah it's not great but so we've learned to adjust you know i've learned to look at life through her lens and understand that yep uh, if we're going to eat together, I need to sit on your right side, not on your left side. You know, if we're going to, if you know, and all the way down to buying certain, you know, notebooks and pens, she she has a preference. She's she's a pen snob, you know, and I, I can say that freely because she embraces it. Um, I am yeah, too. Yeah, well, so as a lefty, yeah, there's certain ones that write better for you than as a righty. Um, I, I could not agree more. Uh, and it's all in terms of what that lens is that we're looking at. Um, and we need to have decision makers that can respect and understand what the left-handers need as much as what the right-handers are, you know, take for granted. 
um, when you're talking about these levels of change, uh, it is not easy. And most people prefer to sit in their bubbles of comfort. Uh, it takes someone special without any um, push to, to be an ally or to do something that is outside of their normal, you know, daily living. Um, and, and, and usually it has something to do with a personal uh, relationship or, or something. Um, but what it's going to take is, is just like I was talking about earlier, it's, it's going to need a deeper reset. It's going to need an understanding of the WIFM rule. I think mm -hmm. we talked about this before. The WIFM rule is what's in it for me. Uh, what's in it for those decision makers is it's been shown, it's been proven, there's evidence that a more diversified workforce helps your bottom line. It helps in all areas, which is, you know, when you're talking about for-profit companies, you're responsible to your shareholders. And if you want the best ROI for your shareholders, it's not status quo. It is embracing where the future of society is going, which is more diverse. It's looking at each individual's values and gifts and bringing them and being able to leverage that as an ideal team um, where everybody is different, not the same. Um, you can look at basic sciences. You know, you look at um, evolution is not for those that stay the same. It's for those that are willing to change. You know, mutations are actually a good thing. Um, and those are uncomfortable and it's hard. And people, you know, they, they're, it's, it's based in fear, you know. Uh, so you're making me think. So one, so you, I, my mind is like going now. So before we had jumped on the call and even before Angel, before you got on, I was telling Alan, when I got my um, groceries yesterday, the delivery driver had on a mask. He didn't have it on. It was in the car and then he kind of put it on. But I think he put it on as a message because it was red and it had white writing on it. And it said, my government is making me wear this mask or something like that. It was just, and I just, my, I just was in my mind, like, because I think I told you, right, I live in a very, um, a very red community, you know, uh, po politically leaning red community, right? So I just, you know, live here and, and live my life. But it was super interesting because my first thought was, yeah, the government is telling you to do it because you don't believe science. Because if you believe science, the government won't have to tell you to cover, right? To not, you know, breathe on people and, and right? So it to me, there's like this whole fundamental underpinning of people don't understand basic facts, basic information. So the fact that there's been studies for years and years, right? That McKinsey and all these big companies lean in, all of them have done about diversity, inclusion, about what makes for better, problem solving, better decision making, better bottom lines and court. We know that they have all of this data, but there's some other stuff I think going on, right? That is, is hampering these decision makers and people from making decisions to do the right thing. Like what, what are these things and how can we like really hold them accountable? Because they know the statistics, right? They know the statistics down to black women, Asian women, they know the statistics down to transgender folks in the work. Like they know the data because it's been being studied, but there is like a refusal, right? So Alan, you were saying we need a reset, but there's a refusal to even acknowledge that people aren't doing things, right? Um, how, do we, how do we break into that? 
in a little bit more, you know, like to, to get at it even more. Like they know the issues, they know what would make it better, but there's a, refru- a refusal to acknowledge it or to take those steps, right, to make the changes. Um, I, I'm going to get deep. Do this it. Is, this, this we got is, 20 minutes. This Do is it. radical change, right? Okay, yes, it so, is. We got 20 right, minutes. We, I, y'all, I'm a Christian. We're about to go to church real quick. Let's do it. Just, let's do just it. give you that lens, okay? Um, this is, let's get through the politics. Let's get through all of that down to the heart of the matter. This is a human heart issue. This is about your humanity. And quite transparently in this country, we have not been very good about treating certain people in a humane way. Okay, it, it, we we have the ability, especially in this country, to other someone. And the moment that you can other someone, you can you now have this lens and this ability to treat them however you feel that you want to treat them, even if it is less than an animal, right? If it is they that you are stripping their humanity away from them, so them not having equal rights or access or power or privilege or money is okay because quite transparently real down deep inside you don't think they deserve it okay because you are not looking at them as equal to you in terms of their humanity because when you layer through when you start layering in multiple layers of gender ethnicity culture religion Every time there's another separation, another layer of separation, that's another opportunity to other them. And when you other them, you get to treat them differently. And treating them differently means treating them poorly, right? Not equal, less than. So to hit two points around, we know the data, we know the statistics. Why aren't we making change? Because we're lazy, okay? Change is hard. Mm -hmm. It takes a ton of human capital and energy and money for a company to completely revamp their hiring process. It takes a ton of energy and human capital and money for a company to start to to literally count the number of women, count the number of black people, count the number of Hispanics, count the number of folks that are indigenous population uh, and at each rank in the company and say, okay, we only have, we have 40% African-American associates and only 10% at the executive uh, suite. Okay, what are we gonna do about that? It, it took them time to even count, <laughs> right? To even, to even get the data. Now that they have the data, what are they gonna do about it? Oh my gosh, well now we have to completely revamp our, our promotion practice. Oh my gosh, now we have to completely revamp how we identify high potential people. Because some people, um, just like I, I love what Alan said about how women respond, right? So it, it happens to me. I'm in team meetings and, you know, some of the men are just like kind of stream of consciousness, just talking, right? Throwing out ideas. Oh, here's an idea. And they're just, they're just talking off the top of their head. I, I'm, not that, I'm not that person. I'm very analytical. I'm thinking, I'm listening to everything that they're saying, and I'm very often the last to respond. And when that happens, sometimes the question, the, the conversation has passed me by, right? So I, I have to actually work with a coach and practice on how to get comfortable with speaking up when my idea is not fully baked. 
I actually have to work with an executive coach and practice how to talk in these meetings because I'm a different leader than them, right? Mm -hmm. and, and it goes all the way back to what Alan said about the girls in the classroom, right? How their leadership skills in terms of being highly communicative and collaborative and, and just into it and, and leaning into their intuition. And women tend to be, not all, trust me, not all, um, tend to be, girls and women tend to be a little bit more in terms of highly emotionally intelligent, right? And being able to tune in to the emotion of the context of the situation. And they'll react based on that versus just what's being said. Mm -hmm. All of these things, right, we know, like you said, back to the data, the stats, the reports, they, they haven't changed. These reports have gone, in my research, in my, in my book, I went all the way back to 1976, where there was a, um, a forum that did the exact same research that I did in 2020. <laughs> and not much has changed. The, the, the findings were the same, right? Almost exactly the same. So I, I could have, this is, oh my gosh, that was before I was born. So <laughs> now that I think about it, that was before I was born and we still have the same data. The needle has not moved. Well, it's because we're lazy. It's because they're really, for those that have the power, the access in our society, there's really no catalyst for them to make change, okay? Until we start hitting the their bottom line, right? When it starts, when it starts to, to hit the green, that's when you will start to see change. And there's this dynamic, this hierarchy of fear, right? Because you kind of are patted on the back where you're kind of like, hey, you're one of four girls that made it and, and won the robotics, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, competition. Congrats, right? You're, you, you should just be happy to be here, <laughs> right? Or, hey, you're, you're, you're one of the African-American females that made it to manager. Good job, right? And so now I got to keep that spot, right? So I got to be careful. So there's this um, underlying, it doesn't even have to always be avert, but there's this underlying unconscious, um, uh, feedback that we're getting about you're just happy to we're just happy that you're here just just happy to be here and keep your mouth shut keep your head down and keep doing what you're doing right keep working hard whether you're a girl in school right um, or or you're in corporate America right and and a lot of underrepresented populations because of the lack of power that we have where we have lost our voice um, but I would say we didn't lose it. It was more muted. And so we have to learn how to unmute ourselves. I like it. What you think, Alan? Mm. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm sitting here and there, there, there's goosebumps and then there are fight or flight responses. Um, I think that what you're saying is on point. Um, I think it's more fear than laziness. I think that laziness is a luxury when you've already gotten to a point where you can actually be lazy, but fear is based on fight or flight. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you're talking about, we're at this inflection point in society where it's either a go or no go for things to get better or get worse, not stay the same, but actually getting worse. Uh, and that inflection point has to do with people based on fear because we're down to Maslow's basis level of what it takes to survive mm -hmm. in this country. Um, and I'm not talking as an Asian uh, father of three worried about his kids in school. And, you know, we're, 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 I was just sharing earlier about some of the things that have been happening in the schools. Um, 
I'm, I'm, I'm talking in terms of fear of a population that has been in power since the founding of the nation that sees on the 2045 census will be the first time that white Americans will be in the minority. And that fear is really driving a lot of decisions in terms of keeping things status quo, even in the face of science, facts and data. I don't think that they don't believe it. I think they believe it. They're looking for reasons to not to use it. And that's what's scary. Pause on that right there. Just you got to you have to say that again. They are looking for reasons not to use science, not to use facts, not to use data, not to do the right thing. Yeah, I mean, and it's those reasons that are driving all of these. I mean, your example of the person wearing not wearing the mask or saying the government made me do this. I mean, he knows exactly what he's doing. It's not that he's doing it uh, in the face against science. He, he knows exactly what is happening and the buttons to push to get a response that's going to make us, you, me, those that are followers of science and followers of rational, logical movement forward. Uh, they're looking for ways to set people off so that they they can further find reasons to to uh, to not listen to mm -hmm. other them to other mm -hmm. them. Yep, that's yeah. exactly right. yeah. other them. Yeah, because you got to think. I mean, for science aside, for a moment, like I'm just I'm I'm very curious. Like I would love for somebody to like inbox me and let me know like what's the thought process here. But if I'm if I could be sick, if I could be the carrier of a virus, whether it's the flu or the coronavirus or whatever i could be sick and not and be asymptomatic i could be walking around right now and if i'm not vaccinated if i have no natural protection i could be carrying something that's not making me sick but if i encounter someone else who has an underlying condition like asthma or autoimmune disease or they're elderly so they have a weakened immune system if i encounter them in the grocery store or at the bank or at a concert or wherever i could transfer my illness onto them even though i know i don't even have it i don't have it. i don't have any symptoms i don't know i have it but i could possibly hurt someone mm -hmm. that i'm not intending to so as an overabundance of caution, just in case, I'll wear the mask, I'll wash my hands, I'll, you know, take some precautions in order to not hurt somebody else. I'm just struggling with why that's such well, a hard concept. But and Angel, you answered your own question earlier <laughs> when you spoke of humanity. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're talking about, you know, we're not we're, we're ships passing in the night when we have these conversations uh because you're you're arguing based on uh, empathy you're arguing based on humanity um where i'm going to use that word others are arguing in terms of conspiracy theories in terms of you know we're not talking about the science that's been proven we're talking about this is freedom of xyz and it's being infringed upon. And so it's not about the science. I know the science is there. 
you know, and in my own home, you know, I get the shot, I take the precautions, I wash my hands, I do all this stuff. But if I'm going to deliver food, I'm not going to wear a mask. Or if I have to wear a mask, I'm going to make my political point. It was crazy. And I just and it was funny to me because I didn't. Of course, I you know, I I didn't react at all. Like I and I just thought it was hilarious. That That was hard for you, wasn't it? Well, no, because (laughs) I'm the only black person in probably a 12 mile radius. So, no, um, you know, it was it's very easy. (laughs) You self-regulated. I self-regulate. Right. Right. But I just I thought to myself because he didn't have it on and I could see it. And, you know, um, and he's giving me my groceries, whatever. And then he kind of like put, you know, pulls it up and then kind of whatever. And I'm just like, not even respond. Like, I'm just like, okay, give me a, that's that. But it just, it's, it's so fascinating. It's, it's fascinating to me on so many fronts, right? I mean, and we talked about a bunch of, you know, a bunch of different, a bunch of different things that all take us to that point, right? There, there has to be. Um, commitment. There has to be people that take responsibility, right, and ownership um, to for doing it, right. Um, <laughs> Maureen said people say they don't want to va- be vaccinated because they're not sure what's in it. But we smoke, we drink, we eat. We don't research was in any of that. I was on a call. Our American food supply alone oh, is scary supply. enough, right? I was, that whole I was process. On a, I was on a, 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 um, a, um, a call last week, and these people were talking about they don't want to get the vaccine because it's not FDA approved. And it was a doctor, a couple of doctors on the call, and they were like, literally, turmeric, vitamin C, vitamin D, none of that stuff is, is FDA approved. All the teas and the supplement. Think about the things that we consume. Right. Besides alcohol and all of that. stuff, But think about just everyday stuff that's not FDA approved. So that's that argument is hilarious to me. And when the doctor was saying that on that other call, I was cracking up because I was like all the stuff that's not FDA approved. So it's beyond that. Right. It's beyond. It's people have to think and go beyond themselves. Right. And think beyond just, you know, what's important to me. And, and, you know, my individual thing. And I guess, or I mean, it's, it's kind of obvious, right, that because of um, the foundation of our country, because of our politics, because of the structures and everything, you know, that, that makes everything go round, right, which is capitalism, it benefits, right, off of all of that, right? Um, and so it's, it's, it's really crazy. It's really crazy. But I'm, I'm on a, a serious, hardcore mission to continue having these kind of conversations, you know, to to be uh, courageous and, and not really worry about um, trying to keep things like they are, because we have to do things in a total radical, brand new, different way. Right. Because the way that we are just inching along, inching along it's not even making um, incremental change, right? Things are getting worse. I mean, when I think about when, Alan, you were sharing about, you know, your daughter, right? And, 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 and your family and kids screaming in their face. I remember the day after the 2016 election, my daughter, who at the time, she was only 14. She was like, not even five feet. She doesn't, didn't even get to five feet until like two years ago. So she was little. And the day after the election, these big football players uh, 
come up to her in the hallway of her school that has like 2,500 kids in there and they start chanting, right, the previous uh, occupant's name in her face. Like, like, like big football players, a little five foot, hundred pound girl, right? So of course nobody does anything, nobody says anything, right, or whatever. Um, she she's like, you know, I go to the school. They're like, oh well, we don't know which kids it was, and like these things, right, are happening all the time. People know about it, and what we have to do is all of us who um, are of that same mind where we just not going to keep on putting up with it. Right. We're going to speak up. We're going to raise these issues, whether we're doing them in corporate, whether we're doing them in institutions, education, you know, different platforms, because we have to, at some point, right. Connect with those people um, who believe that others, right. Aren't equal and others aren't the same. Like we, we have to have those conversations with people. We have to share our lived experiences. One of the things that I've been, um, you know, talking about recently, um, especially with a lot of my, my women friends is, you know, as a black woman to your point, um, Angel about, you know, when we think about our experiences in school and in the workplace, right. Even my experience with a, a you know, food delivery, um, grocery delivery driver, we have to do all of this careful calculation and careful navigation and, and careful everything, right? To just, to, to survive. And, and the fact that it's getting worse is absolutely insane. So to me, we, we need to, you know, um, not even lean in, we need to push in, right? And like, and, and break in and crash in and crash through this, the, the way things are and to in a really serious way, in a really intentional way, that's going to drive it. Like we got to like bang on doors now. No more saying, hey, excuse me. Um, hey, I'd like my rights. You know, <laughs> like, do you mind? Right. Like this whole women's equality. That is white women's equality. Black women don't have no equality. Right. We're getting paid 63 cents on a dollar. Right. To to what a white man is making. At least the white woman's making eighty something cents, right? We're not making the eighty something cents, right? And so there is all of this stuff, right? All of these situations, all of these issues, and we have got to tackle them head on. We got to run into them, and you know what? It's okay to take some scars and bruises, right? I mean, worst case scenario, people at your job won't talk to you. Right. Or or they don't want to talk about certain issues because, you know, it's political, but literally life is political. Right. Especially if you have children or a family or a pet or you want to drink clean water or you want to breathe air. Literally everything is political. Right. <laughs> you want to have connectivity. So there is no oh, we can't talk about that because it's not political because literally everything is political. Right. Politicians sign laws and make decisions based on companies, right? That contribute to them and lobby for the laws that they want, right? They want laws that are going to make them have, help them make as much money as possible, right? And pay as few taxes as possible and pay people as little as possible. Literally that's capitalism. That might not be the definition in the dictionary, but that's, that's how it is. Right. And so we have to, keep having these conversations we have to keep 
um, doing movement, right? And, and, and making dents, right, in that ceiling so that we can make things change. So we got just like a little minute, um, you know, give me some, some wrap up with your, with your comments. Um, and, and, you know, let's give the audience something to walk away with. I can start. Oh, I'm sorry. You're about to, you open your mouth right when I said I start. Uh, my, my whole thing is um, being kind. I think being kind is where it starts. And radical change is absolutely what is needed. And I think um, to be able to get results, it needs to start with the ability to have that empathy, the humanity, which is not going to happen unless there's an understanding that that's not the other. You know, we are all the same. Um, and so I think being kind is one way, and I think celebrating the successes, and which is where I appreciate Angel taking the effort to write this book, which is all about successes. Those are the solutions to the problems. These are the different ways that things have worked. That needs to be celebrated as much as the discussion needs to happen. So again, Angel, there needs to be many, many more volumes here because those success stories needs to be heard far and wide. Thank you. And and to segue from what you said in terms of um, sharing the stories, I am all about, uh, obviously, through the book on a mission to encourage all women, all women, not just African-American, all women, especially those in underrepresented populations, to share their lived experiences, to be truthful about what unfair practices have happened to them. Um, how they, you know, didn't get promoted and, and, you know, all of the things that happened to them, being, being bullied, being treated like the maid, um, et cetera, to share those lived experiences with as many people in their network and their circle as possible. And then conversely, I encourage those that are in a power position to seek out the stories, right? Some of the best allies that I personally have had the luxury of um, being mentored by or being coached by were men in power positions that got curious about what uh, the lived experience was of the females in their companies, right? And they sought out to say, hey, let's grab coffee. So how, how is it for you? What's going on? And through that, they were, through diversifying their network, they were able to gain a, a different perspective, which led to a much more empathetic and humane um, action for them. And then lastly, I would say that for me personally, I'm actually kind of shifting and um, wanting to provide specific actionable tools to help women as we are change agents in the workforce um, and, and, and advocates for our children in school, advocating our politicians to do better. We're constantly advocating. And as you said, Vonda, trying to break down those doors and, and be the radical change. But being radical change agents is tough. It is hard work. It is taxing mentally, emotionally, and physically. So shifting into providing specific actionable tips in terms of wellness um, that we can, that we're able to continue the work because I can't afford for my colleagues like Alan and you, Vonda, and others to get burnt out. Right. right. I need you whole and healthy and continuing to fight. And all those women and men that are the only sitting in their seats right now, whether it's nonprofit, whether it's a board, whether it's a, on an executive team, um, I, I need them to keep going because oftentimes we burn out and we kind of just hang where we're at. We we come backwards or we leave like a lot of us just leave and go, go do entrepreneurial 
you know, mm-hmm. aspirations, right? Which I get, like, forget this, I'm gonna hang up my shield and be a consultant or a coach and forget this whole, you know, corporate America gig. I, I understand that, but for those that choose to stay, they, we need help in terms of sustaining uh, them to keep fighting. Yeah, I love that. So we're gonna just end it there, right? We know we have to um, keep our energy up, keep the same energy going because we know it's hard work. We know this is like not for the faint of heart. It's not for, you know, I'm from Philly, so I had to say this ain't for no punks, right? This is for like, this is like gangster stuff right here. This is like, OG, got to dive in and just take your lumps along the way, right? So that is good. I have to say thank you again to both of you. Um, we can do this anytime. Um, you know, um, I'm, I'm super excited about the work both of you are doing. You are driving change. You are making radical change. We're making dents. Um, and just thanks for being on and I will talk with both of you soon. Thanks everybody for joining and I will see you here, um, on living corporate on Saturdays. Peace out. Bye. Thank you.